Hi, and welcome to the Unique Perspective Show, broadcast live on Hakol Radio, powered by the Montanithasar. Every person, and in particular, every Jew, is special and unique in his or her own way, contributing to society with their very own flavor. My name is Yehuda Blonder, your show host, and I was born with a rare medical condition called familial dysautonomia, also known as FD. Growing up and overcoming multitudes of medical challenges shaped the person I am today, as well as gave me a rather unique perspective on life. On this show, we will be sitting down with amazing people with unique perspectives in life who will give us a glimpse into their lives and what makes them who they are. Come along with me for the ride on the Unique Perspective Show on Hakko Radio. Hi everyone and welcome back to the Unique Perspective Show live on Hakko Radio powered by Lamont Mivasser. On this week's episode... We are thrilled and honored to announce that we had the pleasure of having Nachman Fried on the show. Among his various business and chesed exploits, Reb Nachman is also an avid Breslover chesed and gives shiurim in the Breslover Koilel Torres Chaim in Muncie, New York. Please help me in welcoming Nachman Fried to the show. Welcome and how are you? I am wonderful. So happy to be here for you, Yudalib. Okay, thank you for coming on. I know we we scheduled back and forth, and you, but we were both very busy. But thank you for coming. Um. So first of all, where are you today? Home. You're in Brooklyn or Brooklyn, like, New York, Kensington, around the corner from your house. Grew up in Borough Park, Forty um, Third okay. Street. My parents lived on. We actually were born on Forty Seventh Street. The younger oh, one, wow. the older one. We were born on 47th Street, and I moved to 43rd Street when I was 10 years old. Lived there till I got married, went to Israel, and then came back and been living on East 4th for the last 30, over 30 years, 31 years. Wow. So growing up, where, where did you go for yeshiva and all that? I went to yeshiva from kindergarten. I went to... Kindergarten, I was in Stalna Yeshiva from pre one Throughout high school, I went to Yeshiva called Bereshmul okay. from elementary and high school. After elementary school, I went to, after high school, I graduated high school. I went to Erzisrael. I went to Bresley Yeshiva. Okay. Then I went to Yeshiva, which was called Teres Chaim, by the way. The Yeshiva was called Teres Chaim, was Rebbe Birambam, son of Rebbe Shmuel Birambam, Al-Vosham, a big tzaddik. I learned in his, it was a coil really, but he had a couple of barchim and I went there for about a year, a little over a year. And then I went to Panovich. And then from Panovich, I got engaged. Actually, I came to Stanford for one's man. I was in Stanford, Connecticut right before. Then I went back to Panovich. I got engaged and I got married. I lived in Israel for three years, learned in coil there. And then I came to America. Wow. So I actually did not know, this is the first time I heard this, that you actually went to Panovich. I did not know that you went to Panovich. Yes. Um, so during the summers, what did you guys do? I'm saying you, you guys lived in Bar Park all the years, so you must have gone away to like the Bungle County or the country yes. somewhere. 
Yes, we went to the Bungalow Galley, place called Village Park in Woodridge, New York, okay. together with uh, a lot of nice Taridas people, among them the Blonder family. Okay. Um, that's where we spent our summers, every summer since I was seven years old, even till about four or five, five years after I got married, I came out every summer I was there. Wow. So I grew up in Village Park. I'm much younger than you. So um, I only knew your father for, I don't know, about your parents for about six, seven years. Um, what was it, what, how was it growing up with your father being, becoming Breslov? How did that happen? So the history is that my, my father was born to parents that uh, came right before my, grand, my grandmother, my grandfather, was actually in he came to america from poland in the early 1900s uh, i think he like 1920 or something in the range of 1920 1925 something like that and he was a single living in america and he had a niece who was my grandmother living in poland and when the war started getting heated you know you felt the war was coming and before the war my grandmother wrote a letter to her uncle saying that she would like him to marry her. Okay. And uh, he said, what he, he was much older. He was like 20 years older than my grandmother. And she, he said, what do you mean? We don't go together. Uh, you know, I'm 20 years older than you. And she said, no, I, I, the war is coming. You need to save me. So, she, so he answered her, but yeah, I'm going to come save you. And after you come to America, then you're going to leave me. So she says, no, I'll promise you if you come to, to if you marry me, I will stay with you. Anyway, point is, she they came to America. So my grandparent, my grandparents came to America in 1939. Mom is right before the war. He wow. went to he went to Poland, got married, and brought her back to America. He was an American citizen, and they lived here until my grandfather was Nifter. They lived here in the in they first originally lived in Borough Park before Borough Park was Borough Park. Then they moved to Flatbush, West First Street. So my father went to, when he was, you know, my parents, my grandparents didn't have money to send him to yeshiva. They would send him to public school until he was 10 years old. Wow. But when after public school, public school finished at 3 o'clock, all the boys, there were many Jewish boys that went to public school. And after public school, they had something called Talmud Torah, where they would, um, they would, uh, Learn Olive Bay's Chumash, and the Rebbe in the Talmud Torah was a Yid by the name of Rabbi Rosenfeld. Okay. And my father, among a whole bunch of boys, were part of his class, and he convinced them to go to Yeshiva. And he was a breast of the Chassid. So that whole class went to my father went to Tarasemis from there, okay. and that whole class became breast of us. They were all wow. connected to Rabbi Rosenfeld. He was a very uh, um, he was a good Jew that lived in the time. He lived, you know, he was the only Breslov back in the time that was wow. like a mashpia. So my 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 father became his time at ten years old. My father became a Breslov chassid. At twelve years old, I have a letter from my father that he uh, wrote to a. He had a an older bacher that was uh, in Eretz Yisrael at the time, and he wrote to him that uh, he asked his mother permission. You know that in Breslov it's a very big thing, Rosh Hashanah. Even before Oman opened up, when it was communist Russia, before your times, you delayed, it wasn't able to get into the USSR and Ukraine, which is wow. today Ukraine was part of Russia. 
And it was uh, the communists didn't let, especially Americans. It was a cold war between America and Russia. You weren't able to get in, not Americans, not Israelis. And there was many years that from the war, from basically from World War II, no one was able to get there for Rosh Hashanah. Wow. So only unless you lived there. And there was a minion there for many years from people who lived there. But in those times, it was very difficult to be a Jew in the communist Russia. They were against any kind of religion. So... The Yidin, the, what did Brazil see them do? So in Israel, they had two minyan, they had a minyan in Yerushalayim and a minyan in Moran. There was a machlekes, where do you go for a Shoshana if you can't get to Oman? But the Yidin in America, they couldn't afford to get to Israel. They they made a kibbutz where they came all came together to Daven. The, the only Brazil shul at the time that had a kibbutz was in the Lower East Side. Wow. So my father, when my father was 12 years old, he wrote a letter to his friend that was in Israel at the time. And he told him, I really asked my mother for permission to go down with the Brazil to see them on the Lower East Side. But my mother declined me. So I went to the Mary Shiva to Davin, Rosh Hashanah, and I closed my eyes. And I imagined myself that I was davening on the, the East Side with the kibbutz of Brazil to see them. And I asked Hashem that the next year I should be able to be Zoycha to be in Oman for Rosh Hashanah, which those days it was wow. a dream. Right. The next year was after his bar mitzvah already. My father went, so my my mother, he asked his grandma, my, mother, my grandmother, he asked his mother again for permission. Again, she could decline them from going. So he died on Friday, the first night, Rosh Hashanah in the Mir Yeshiva, and then he walked from Flatbush, from West First Street. He walked to the east side for the rest of Rosh Hashanah. My, my grandmother had the police looking for him as a missing person. Because he, wow. he, he snuck out the Damadur. So he was mice and nefesh. He really believed in Rav Nachman. He was Meis and Nefesh to do the Tzivoy of Rav Nachman, which was that everybody should daven together on Rosh Hashanah. If you could come to Oman, if not, all Breslau Chassidim should daven together. So that's the history of how my father got affiliated with Breslau. Then he went later on, uh, he, when he finished high school, he went to Breslau Yeshiva. He went to the Mir Yeshiva in Eretz and left the Mir Yeshiva to go to Breslau Yeshiva. They, had a, they opened up an American group in Yerushalayim, and that's when he got to know all the big mashpim in Brazil that were alive at the time, Rabbi Yitzchak Bender, Rabbi Shmuel Shapiro, all the real, real big guns that were there in Israel, the big guys of Hashem. And that's how he became a Brazil Chassid. And then wow. he came back to America, and he married my mother, and I was born. And in 1969, the year that I was born, right after I was born, my father took his life savings, his chassid money, whatever he had life savings, and he went for his first trip to Oman. For Rosh Hashanah in 1969 in communist Russia. And then every couple of years he became a travel agent. Every couple of years, those times he would go to Oman when I was on the oldest. So before I was seven, my father tried, we attempted to go to Oman for Rosh Hashanah. And we did not make it. It's a long story. I don't know if you want me to say this. It's a nice story. Mm -hmm. but I don't know if you want me to say this story now, but it's a long story. And uh, but then in short, instead of getting, we didn't get to, to Oman, but we got to Mezhibaz. And then when I came back to America, my Rav Bik, who is a Rav on 55th Street, is he he came from Mezhbaz, from the town of Mezhbaz, where the Belshemta was lived and Belshemta was buried. And Rav Bik told me and my father that I was the first child after World War II to come outside of Ukraine to the Belshemta's cave. Wow. So in 1976, I was the first child to come known, that was known, that got to right. Rosh Hashanah after World War II. So that's the history, basic history, of where my father came to Breslau. And then he created a cult. Uh, right, so, so 
later on, I'm saying from what I remember is that um, he went every single year Rosh Hashanah. Yes, for my father's after with, after a Rebbe of mine with the Rebbe of yours. Who's your yeah. Rebbe? Who's your Rebbe? He, uh, my pre-one Rebbe, Rebbe Brynas. That's right, Rabbi Shmuel Brynas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But my father went before Rabbi Shmuel Brynas. 1969 was the first year that he went to Oman. And then after he went to Oman, the first, that it wasn't his first Rosh Hashanah, but then consecutively he went there to throne to, for Rosh Hashanah to Miran. And then after it opened up in 1989, September of 89 was the first year that we went together. I had just gotten married two weeks after my chasna. We all went to Oman. That was the first year that we went. And uh, my father, until the year that he passed away, he went every year consecutively. And Baruch Hashem, myself, I've been going since 1989, 35 consecutive Rosh Hashanahs in Oman. Wow. Any crazy stories happened to your father in Oman? Personally, that you can that you can say. So my father, uh, my father, he uh, the so the story. The one there's a few crazy stories. There are a few. The craziest story was the year that he took me before I was seven years old. You know why he took me before I was seven years old? Let me explain to you. Reb Nachman, you know this big tzaddik called Reb Nachman. Yeah. Reb Nachman promised that in his while he was alive, that any child that would come to him before seven years old. He swore, he said, Nishbani, that he won't be chayta, he won't sin until the day of his chasin. So wow. Breslau would see them after Reb Nachman was alive, would also bring their children before seven. All Breslau would see them bring their children before seven years old to Reb Nachman's cave. As a matter of fact, Hashem, in two weeks, I'm taking my anakul before he say he's, seventh birth, he's turning seven in February and we're going to Oman. Wow. Hashem, in two weeks. So, it is a big, it's a minute that they continued. He said it, but they continued after he was alive. So my father took me before before I was seven years old. And in those days, going to Russia wasn't like it is going today. It was a real hard trip. You had to go to multiple countries because you weren't, you weren't granted access. There was no direct flights from America. And coming as an American citizen was an ordeal. Okay. As a matter of fact, when you came to when we came to Oman, when we came to we, the way we had to go was you had to go to a main city, and then that was regional city of where Oman is a small city. There's only about a hundred thousand people living in Oman. Oh wow! I didn't know so you had to go to a, you, you, you had to go to a main city that was a regional city where Oman was under. Oman was under three different regional cities: either Kiev, Vinitsa, wow. or Odessa. Most people attempted, and many, many Brazilians always attempted to try to go to Reb Nachman's caver because Reb Nachman gave a big aftocha that anybody who comes to his caver and says the Ten Kabbalat of Tilim and gives a prutal tzedaka le'ilan shmasai, he promises that he will put himself in the length and in the width. It doesn't, we don't understand what that means, but in the length of the width, and he will take him out even by his pace. He will schlep him out of Gehenim. Shal is and so since then, many Brazil have seen him, not many, all Brazil have seen him, uh, tried to go to Reb Nachman's caver so that they can, uh, they can be mechanic, they get this tremendous aftocha. Right. So many attempted and they weren't able to get there. My right. father thought of a chap that everybody attempted because they would go to Kiev and in Kiev they would ask permission to go to Oman and, and then they would get rejected. 
So my father decided that he will go to a different place called Venice, where not many people attempted to go. It was closer to Oman than Kiev. And he'll try from there. Why he came up with this chap, I don't know, but that was his chap. Okay. Anyway, we went to Venice, and we arrived. And the way it went was you would ask you would ask for permission. It would take three, four days till they came back to grant your request or deny your request. And I remember those three, four days, I was a little kid. I do remember my father taking me to the park, and he would go and he would have him, you know, make his business in the park over there for hours and cry beg Hashem that he should let him be able to be Zerchit to come to Rav Nachman's cave and bring his son before he's seven years old. Anyway, it turns out a few days later, the request comes back denied. Yet, in, in Russian. Wow. You cannot go to... to so my father was devastated. Wrote his, he took his life savings in order to bring his son, first oldest son, before he's seven years old. So what did he do? He went and he... Um, and he decided, in the middle of the night, he woke me up, and we went in the middle of the night, and he went, and he found a taxi driver that spoke Yiddish, that was a Yid, and he offered him $300. Now, $300, this is 1976. Okay. I just want to tell you that $300 to a person living in Ukraine, even for an American, $300 was, like today, at least three, $4,000, right? Right, $5, wow. But, yeah. to, but to someone living in Russia at the time, it was like $50,000. So imagine if someone came and offered you $50,000 to drive you as a taxi driver to take us to Oman. Anyway, we start driving, and we're driving for about an hour, and all of a sudden we see signs. My father sees signs. I couldn't read the signs. He sees signs saying Vinita. And he goes to the driver. He says, what are you doing? We're supposed to be going to Oman. He says, yeah, I got scared, and I can't do it. And he takes us back to the headquarters of the taxi. And the head wow. of the taxi was Osaid, but he was afraid of his life. You have to understand. Those days, everything was punishable by prison or even death. It was a crazy, crazy country. They were wow. They were. So my uh, they, they, the head of the of the taxi guy said, "I have to report you to the to I have to report you to to the police." And he reports us to to the police, and then they take my father in for interrogation, and they interrogate him for thirteen hours, saying he's a spy. Wow. He's a spy. So he was interrogated for 13 hours, and um, then, uh, so, and what did they do with me while he was being interrogated? So there was like a Shani Lamelech, like the guy, there was the head guy, and there was the sidekick. The sidekick was ordered to take care of me, and he took <laughs> me, I still remember it, he took me to the park, and he bought me ice cream, and uh, and whatever, and we, he befriended, and somehow he took a liking to me. And he befriended my father. Anyway, he saw my... So the after 13 hours of interrogation, they, they realized that my father's not a spy. And okay. they, said, they sent him, okay, you know, Oman, you can't go. We're not giving you permission to go to Oman. But is there another place that you want to go to? So he says, yes, I want to go to Mezhubis. Mezhubis is the Baal Shem Tov. Right. I can't go to Oman. You want to go to Baal Shem Tov. So we went to the Baal Shem Tov, And I, that's what I told you. I was the first child right. to get to Baal Shem Tov's cave before... After yeah. after the war, anyway, this guy, this Shani Lamelech, this like sidekick, he was yeah. his name was Anatole. So Anatole became, saw that my father wanted to go to Oman so badly, so he told him that um, listen, I'll make a code with you. We'll write each other letters, and I'll tell you if the weather is raining. I don't remember what the code was, but there was some code with the weather that whether it's raining or snowing, that was a sermon he should come. Or if it's sunny, that I, you know, I'm not sure exactly, okay. who, but he, that was yeah. the code. Anyway, a year later, 
my father writes him a letter. Anyway, so we don't go. I end up going to Mezbiz. We come, come right. back to America. I never got to Oman. Okay. Anyway, my uh, the, 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 the he write, my father writes him a letter and he gives him the code. My father decides to go. He goes back to Venice a year later. And this Anatole then grew and became like the head of the interest or whatever it was at the time. And he took my father in his private car and falsified documents and took so that it no way. for clearance. Yeah, he, he took him in his private wow. car and he told him that anybody that will come with your business card, with your signature on the back of it, I'll do the same for him. So my father didn't want to tell people at the time, where, who, you know, because then he didn't want it to get out. But anybody who needed a big issue, and there were two people that I know, knew personally, one is still alive, one is not anymore, that didn't have children for many, many years. And my father gave them the card, and he went, and they met Anatole, and Anatole took them to Rabnachman's cave, and both of them had children, one child, one had a boy and one had a girl. Both are living today, the children are living today, and they never had children afterwards. There was the only children that they had. Wow. And that happened after they went to Rabnachman's cave. The story is not over. Okay. So my father used it for himself every couple of years. It was very hard to go to Oman at those times. And he went right. to Oman. So he would go himself. And Anatole, every time, would take him. Anyway, one time my father has a dream while he's in Vinitsa. That Anatole tells him, my father asks him. He's sitting in the car with him. And Anatole's sitting in the front. He's sitting in the back. And this, this is the vision that he has. And he asks him, Anatole, tell me, why are you doing this? Why are you, why are you you're risking your life to take me to Oman? He was a guy. So Anatole tells him, because I'm Jewish. The next day, he's taking my father to Oman from Venezuela, and in the car, exactly like the dream, but a little different, he tells him, my father asks him, why are you doing this? Why are you risking your life for me? And he tells him, my mother just passed away a few months ago. Right before she passed away, she called me to her bedside, and she told me, I just want to tell you that you're something that you never knew, but you are Jewish. His father was not Jewish, but his mother was Jewish. Right. So when he found out that he was Jewish, he, so he told it to my father. So my father realized the whole reason why he was taking him all the years. He didn't know that he was Jewish. was all because he had a good feel for another Yid. And wow. he saw the ruts of another Yid that wanted to go. Anyway, story is not over. Okay. Yeah. It's a long story. It's okay. a long story. I, I like it. So anyway, years later, 1989, sorry, 1989, that was the first year that we went to Rosh Hashanah. My father was a travel agent. Right. So, he, so he was the one who took care of all the tickets of everybody coming to Oman. It was the first year 800 people went to Oman. So who wow. took care of the group? He had Anatole, this Anatole, take care of all the ground transportation in Oman. Okay. Anatole was his man in, in Russia. Right. But so we came, I, started, I met Anatole at the time, I remember. And uh, anyway, Anatole tells my father that he wants to immigrate to Israel. And it wasn't yet time of immigration, and he wanted to immigrate, so my father helped him. And he got got him a visa because he was Jewish. So they got right. him a thing and he got him a visa. And Anatole lives in Eretz Israel now. And he's kept up with my father for the, for the years. And when my father passed away, he heard my father passed away and he wrote a letter to my mother. And he told my mother that he's living in Ramot and he started keeping Shabbos. And he's Shema Shabbos. Wow. All started from this trip that my father tried to go to Vinitsa and we were declined to go to Oman. We got to Mezhibaz. And that was all. So that's the end of the story. Wow. You want to know a nice story? There are other stories, but that was a very nice story that happened to my father way back in the day. But there was something else uh, from what I remember. Your father got in trouble or something, like in Uman or something. He spent like 
That was the this, that was that the story. Was, that, that was this trip. That story was thirteen. Where they interrogated for thirteen hour interrogation. Yes. Wow. They thought he was a spy. He had to prove with pictures how did, and how different did he, things. How did he prove? I th I don't remember the story, but I think with his pictures, he had pictures of me and him together. Like they or my mom, my mother. I don't remember something he told us. My mother will remember. You have to you have to interview my mother, and you'll get the answer. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Wow. We will be right back after words from our sponsor. Is your computer running slower than molasses? Are you desperate to salvage important data from your hard drive? Let's face it, IT work can be a nightmare at times. Whether it entails virus removal, server or network setup, networking and cloud backup, or simple laptop and desktop ongoing IT support. At VentureTech, we understand how essential your systems are to your daily life and we take the time to accurately diagnose every technical issue you're experiencing. Call us now for a consultation by dialing 347-603-0033 or shoot us an email to info at VentureTechComputers.com. And we are back on the Unique Perspective show. So, okay, that's pretty crazy that he was, yeah. Um, but now, I mean... Later on, going down after your father was lifter, you guys still kept on going and going and going and going till this day. What yeah, makes yes. what makes Nachman or the whole Freed entire Freed family want to go back at year after year after year and run program after program after program in Uman? So. The answer to the question is, first of all, it's a schus. I don't really know the answer. Thank you, Hashem, that he gave us this schus. And, but really, it does come from my father. My father instilled in us this passion and this mysterious nefesh that he had, you know, to go to Oman. I still remember as a child when my father went to Miran for Rosh Hashanah. Mm -hmm. So we would go to the airport. And my mother was not a breastfeeder. And my mother would cry. We were three little boys, and we were terrors. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> and it was me, Nazi, and Davy. And he, and he, and he. Um, you know, I, I once I had a crazy story. I remember this story. I remember him saying goodbye to us, and he benched us in the airport. And then he walked to the, you know, to the gate of the plane. I remember it was TWA. There was like a glass enclosure where he would go into the gate, and he walked to the. You know, you were able to see him. And um, he didn't turn back. We was there. My mother was crying, and we were crying. My father's leaving. I don't know why we were crying, but in those days, I guess right. I, we were. But we were crying that he was leaving, and uh, he didn't look back. So I asked him afterwards, Tati, why didn't you look back? Like it's not nice not to look back. Everybody looks back and waves, right? So he said, if I would have looked back, I would have stayed, and I didn't want to stay. I knew that I was going for Rosh Hashanah. That my Rebbe said, come for Rosh Hashanah. And that it was important, and it's something to be my nefesh. So he really instilled in us a mysterious nefesh to going to Oman, understanding that this is, you know, one of our animams that we believe in the tzaddikim. We believe in the evishta uva moishavda in all the tzaddikim and all, especially this particular tzaddik. Wow, wow, that's pretty pretty crazy. And then comes twenty twenty which was pretty crazy for you guys because you yes. guys just, when COVID hit, you guys had to, in order to go, you had to do something 
in order to go to Uman, right? Yes. So what happened was there was it was COVID, and the Ukrainian government it was advised by the Israeli government because they were afraid of the virus spreading, and that so there was so for many years there was fifty, sixty thousand people that were coming to Oman already, and there was thirty thousand people coming from Eretz Israel. That the Israeli government encouraged the Ukrainian government not to allow uh, people to come. So from Rishchaydish El, they closed down that nobody was allowed in to the country. Okay. Was, there was no, you were, if, unless you came before Rishchaydish El, I, I remember the date, and we got, you got noticed 48 hours before. So there were those that jumped 48 hours before Rishchaydish El. El is a month before Rishchaydish yeah. And they ran to Oman. And they, was, there, were, there were those. But anybody who went after Rishchaydish was declined. However, okay. what we did is when we, we had a feeling this was going to happen, and we they were, we made temporary residence. In other words, we had to fly to Ukraine. Okay. August, I went to Bav, I went to Ukraine to make residency to be able to get into Oman. So if okay. you came in as a temporary resident, you had to pay money, and it was a whole procedure. But then I'm a resident of Ukraine. I still I have the, my I still have my residency card. So we made the residency in order to be able to get to Oman. However, in order to get the residency, you needed to come to Ukraine twice to get the card. Wow. And we didn't okay. get we didn't we didn't get that card. I didn't go the second time. So but because we had the residency card already in process, so when we came to the border, we we were scared. So uh, there were others that came in. Some got in. Some didn't get in. We right. got scared, and we found out that there was a way to bribe people at the border. Okay. And we 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 so we came two weeks before Rosh Hashanah, and it, the price every day the price kept escalating. But every so I think I was the first to come, and as soon as I got in, I saw. I passed the border. By the way, there was a simcha that we passed the border. You can't imagine. I was crying when wow. I passed the border. I'm sure. I'm sure. But then I called my brothers and I said, guys, you better come now. I came two weeks before Rosh Hashanah. Okay. When I came in, it was $2,000. Every day, it went up by $1,000. So wow. as soon as I came in and I got in, I called my brothers. And each day, another brother, my brother knows he was the last one to come with my son. And for him, it was $5,000 to, oh, to, 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 wow. to come in. So you know, and it was crazy. At five thousand dollars, they came like uh, ten days before Zizana. They were the last people to get in, and after that, they closed the border completely. Zizana, there was only fifteen hundred people that came there. That was the story. That all the but Zizana. So we and I think that I to be there in the year of COVID, we're not. There was no family that the entire family came in. And we were all, we were the only family that all six boys got there. Wow. So nowadays. There's a ton of people that go every year for Rosh Hashanah. They're making it like, I don't know, hundreds. Thousands. No, not hundreds. This year there was 30, 40, between 30 to 40,000 people. Okay, but... but It's very so hard trip now. Now that there's a war, it's, it's it's I mean, a minimum of 12, 13 hours of driving to be able right. to get there because you can't fly into Ukraine. So where do you where do you fly into? So there's many different places, different countries. Moldova is one country. Poland is another country, all the Hungary, all different borders, but Brazil will see them, they're adamant and nice and right. to be able to come. So, but your, you, your family, like the free family, is long-time Brazilian family. The people yes. that I know that started going 10, 15 years ago, they, 
are they like they're the newfound wrestlers or they're like so the, or... the yesh yesh. no so the, the people who started going for Rosh Hashanah any Brazil of Chazan that was a real Brazil of Chazan went for Rosh Hashanah to Oman goes to Rosh Hashanah okay, okay. no question there are Brazil of Sidon there are a lot of new Brazil of Sidon that are come, coming about people are being inspired by Rav Nachman Rav Nachman listen to me you the lady it's time for you to join too <laughs> Rav Nachman talks to every neshama in our generation. I don't know if you know this, because you never attempted to learn his Torah, but I, your whole movement, the, the whole the whole movement that you're affiliated with, which is called Thank You Hashem, is all inspired by Rav Nachman's Torah. 100%. Everything. And, I, and those people that I'm very good friends with, they are, uh, I'm actually going in a couple of hours, going for your test um, for bringing and with the thank you Hashem people, but um, they they we're we're all very inspired with with Reb Nachman's Torah. But um, they if you like, get inspired, let me tell you, here's the trick: if you get inspired, they're, they're the younger they're the younger Hebra. So it doesn't make a difference if you get inspired by Reb Nachman's Torah and you realize that he's speaking to you, and he gave remedies to every type of challenge that we are challenged emotionally, spiritually, physically, okay? Even physical. Because most physical challenges come from our emotional and spiritual challenges. Okay. And he, when you feel that connection to him and you see that this is the doctor, and this doctor said to come to him for Rosh Hashanah, and he said, come, so what is it for me to give up a little bit of money and a little bit of Agnes Nevish to travel? And the davening is beautiful there. And I'm davening with 50,000, 30, 40, 50,000 people to be Rosh Hashanah, to say, taking a call here Rosh Hashanah. I don't know if you watch it on, on the it videos. Is. Thousands of people saying to him together, it's an inspiration, especially when you know that he gave you a remedy. All year he said, if I, you come to me for Rosh Hashanah, I'll take you out of Gehenna. So, when he said Rosh Hashanah was given to him as a present and that nobody should be missing, when you feel a relationship with this tzaddik, you're going for Rosh Hashanah. So yeah, all the new people that are coming, the most of them are inspired by his, some kind of inspiration of his Torah. And even the ones who are not dafka through his Torah, even the ones who are going to have a good time, they're going for a spiritual good time. Uh -huh. There is something about this place that is... And, and how many... People that I can tell you, I know there are thousands of people that have visited Rav Nachman's grave that got inspired and became Bali Tshuva. I can tell you, I can't tell you thousands, but I know personally tens, if not hundreds, uh, over a hundred people that have become Bali Tshuva because they went to Rav Nachman's cave. Even I, I just met a guy, just met a guy, yes. I don't want to say his name, from a very prominent Litvisha family, very wealthy, prominent Litvisha family, Rosh Hashivas. That he went to Oman by mistake. He was going to Ukraine. He went for Kiryat Tzadikim. He went to Oman also. He can't explain it. He says, I felt like I was grabbed. He just told us me this week. I was grabbed by Reb Nachman. And ever since he comes every year Rosh Hashanah, and against his family wishes, and he comes every year Rosh Hashanah, and he learns Reb Nachman's turn. He says, listen, I care about my Ruchnias. And Reb Nachman, he talks to my spirituality. Wow. Why don't the women and the kids come for Rosh Hashanah as well? So, in the time of Rabbi Nachman, I guess there was no women. But I don't think that's the reason. I think in those days, 
the the because Rabbi Nachman did say to make your 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 wives chasidus. He did. He said that. Okay. So I don't know if he meant it for Rosh Hashanah, but I think it wasn't ongenom. It wasn't accepted that when when Chassidim went to Rebbe, they went to only the. It wasn't only Reb Nachman. All Chassidim, you went to the Rebbe for 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 Yom Tov, for Yom Tov, for wow. all different Yom Tov. Reb Nachman was specific about Rosh Hashanah. Got it. And, and what was um, what was Reb Nachman specifically about Rosh Hashanah that he took Rosh Hashanah as? Rav Nachman said, Rosh Hashanah Shali Oila Al Hakoil. Ish Bal Yedar. That means my the Rosh Hashanah, my Rosh Hashanah is Oila Al Hakol. It is more than everything. In other words, Oil wow. Al Hakol means Hakoil. That means spiritually. If you're looking to do something spiritually and you want to be connected to it, Rav Nachman says that it's Oil Al Hakol. Rav Nachman also said that no matter what I tell you, don't go away from a Sif Shulchanarach. So Breslov has a structure where Shulchan Aruch is number one. You know, sometimes right. Chassidim, they, uh, other Chassidim, and I'm not knocking anybody, I'm just saying, mm -hmm. certain things, you know, like, uh, for instance, Davening Bizman. Breslov is very mad with Davening Bizman. Not to Daven after Zman, Krishma, Zman, Tefillah. Bre most Breslov see them Daven Vasikin every day. Wow. And Mishkia, they're very mad with is number one. Okay. However, Kabbalah, which is after Halacha, is spirituality and Rav Nachman said Rosh Hashanah Shali Oila Al Hakol means Hakol. It means everything. Oila Al Hakol, anything spiritual is. That's what he said. And he said Ish Bal Yada, nobody. And he said Loimi Boya Atem, not just you, but Kala Oila Kulai Talibar Rosh Hashanah Shali. The whole world is telling my Rosh Hashanah. So if you believe in this tzaddik and you believe in the words that he says, there's nothing bigger in the spiritual mindset that we can do. Than going to Rav Nachman's Rosh Hashanah on Rosh Hashanah. Yeah. Of course, there's uh, nothing bigger than learning Torah. Don't right. get me wrong; I'm not trying to put in the thing, but yeah, yeah. Uh, we're talking about you know you understand. Talking about is somebody who is looking for connection and and going to Rosh Hashanah to be Rosh Hashanah in the presence of a tzaddik. There is no bigger place to go to than to Rav Nachman's Rosh Hashanah. Wow. We will be right back after words from our sponsor. Do you have a business or organization that you are looking to promote? Are you tired of paying top dollar only to have your ad thrown on page 225 when no one sees it? Well, at the Muncie Mavasar, your business is our business. We won't let that happen. Our highly skilled graphics department can help make you that perfect ad, and our talented layout team will find the perfect spot so your ad never gets lost among hundreds of others. Call us today to reserve your ad, 845-835-3399, or send an email to sales at muncimavasar.com, and our sales team will respond promptly. The Muncie Mavasar, Muncie's premier Jewish newspaper. Got everything you want and nothing you don't. Visit us online at www.muncimavasar.com. And we are back on the Unique Perspective show. Okay, so uh, now getting a little further, uh, you you had a friend, I don't know how you met him, your dear friend Chaim Rosenberg. How did you meet him and how long did you when know him? I before? mentioned to you earlier that I was in, uh, when I was in, pre-1A was my first year in Bereshimol. I was in okay. Stone Yeshiva when I was in kinder right. kindergarten. 
Okay. But they didn't want to. I was young, I was the youngest kid in the class, and they didn't want to okay. put me into pre one eight. And my father wanted me to go to pre one eight. They wanted me to stay another year in kindergarten because I was too young. So my father took me out of Stone Yeshiva and put me into Bereshmul because they would accept okay. me into pre one eight. Right. Okay. So I came a few days later, and the school started. I came to to and Rabbi Kugman, who was just Nifter. Yeah. It was your brother's rabbis too? You weren't in in in, in no. Bereshmul, but you. But I had his son. I had his son as my rabbi. So Rabbi Kugelman, he was just Nifta yeah. a few weeks ago. Yeah. So Rabbi Kugelman said, when I came into class, I came to class, he goes, who wants to sit next to the new boy? And this boy raised his hand in the back, his name was Chaim Rosenberg, and he sat next to me. And uh, from there on, we became very, very best friends, close friends, every single Shabbos, every single Shabbos. I would either go to his house or he would come to my house growing up. Yeah. And we we were in the same class until tenth grade. In tenth grade, he went to South Fallsburg, and then and we continued our relationship later on. But you know, we went our separate ways, and then, yeah. then but we were still friends. Okay. And then after I got married, we went we we reunited when I was like twenty five years old. Like we became really best friends again. Went to Kaufman's bungalow colony. He was there, and I was there, and that's when we reunited. And we became best friends until the day he passed. So. So okay, unfortunately, he passed in a crazy, crazy way. Yes. How? Yeah. How? Like how? You, he you was were, you, he was very... you were there when it happened. No, or? I no, I wasn't there. I was. Uh, so there's, there's a little history to the story. Okay. And uh, I guess this will be our closing story, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the, the so the history is that his wife, four years before he passed away, his wife was diagnosed with a brain tumor. Okay. And the brain tumor that was, uh, so they, they, she had a few operations. She was the, di the doctors gave her less than three months to live. Okay. And she, he didn't accept that he had a Muna and he was very challenged with that. And he took care of her. He didn't take an aid to take care of her. And he really, um, he, he was my Senefish for her. And I mean, we, Hashem gave her life, but his mysterious Nefesh and his Tfilis and his Rudson gave her another three years of uh, almost three years of living. Wow. So she passed away, and then after she passed away, he decided that uh, he wanted to have a place. He felt like New York City wasn't a place to live for him anymore, and okay. he bought a condo. And first he rented, then he bought a condo in Florida. But he was a broken man. He, you know, he was a widower at the time, and he was a broken person. I was his best friend, so every few weeks I would go to Florida to visit him there. Wow. And I was the most in this apartment, more than his children, more than anybody. I was the most in this apartment. As a matter of fact, I was supposed to go. He went the day that the collapse happened. He went to Florida. Mamashi landed a few, 11, 11.30 at night is when he got to the apartment, and 1.30 in the morning is when the collapse happened. Wow. So Mamashi, like two hours later. Two hours, two hours before. Why did he go? Because his, his daughter and his son-in-law asked to use his apartment. Okay. And they were there already from two days before, and he felt guilty. That he's not hosting them. So he right. went to host them. So he Mamish went and he got there two hours before, three hours before, and then the collapse happened. So yeah, I was supposed to be there the next Sunday. The following wow. Sunday, I was supposed to be there. I was actually supposed to be there then. If his children weren't there, I was gonna be there then. But because okay. the children weren't there, we made up that I was gonna come Sunday. Okay. So I was the most person, I was the closest person, I believe, at the, the, the definitely in the last year. Um, and uh, this story happened and it shook the world, it shook the right. world, it shook my life. And uh, for two weeks, we were waiting until he was found, and then he was found. 
and uh, yeah, then uh, so that's what inspired. You see, you want to know how we we so, so how did what what uh, what made you start? What made what gave you the idea to start? Um, and what is it all about besides Ramnachman's Torah? Okay, so if, for who says it's anything else besides Ramnachman's Torah? I, I, don't, I, don't, okay. I don't know what. So let me say so what happened. So what? What? Why did I take on this cause? I'm not a person that does causes. I was learning with Kutaram my whole life, and okay. actually for the last few years I've been learning it being myself with a chavrusa. But I didn't think of doing anything even after Chaim passed away. I still didn't think of doing anything. The only thing was. That uh, Chaim found comfort last while his wife was sick. He started learning mm-hmm. Lukut Moran, and he finished it twice. He told me, and we would talk a lot about the Torahs in Lukut Moran. And he found comfort. He told me. He said, "I found comfort. This was a safer that found I found comfort in." And he came to Oman for Rosh Hashanah. Was, his was kids he, were, was he, did he become rested also? No, but he was very. This was his became his safer. Came okay. to Oman. He loved Reb Nachman, and he found comfort. See, he told me, Rabbi Nachman Sefer gave me comfort. So, as a matter of fact, I was learning a Torah, like Breslau started a thing a few years ago where everybody learns the same Torah, the Ian. So we were learning a Torah, Torah and I was learning, and Chaim was also learning it. It was right oh, wow. before he passed away. And we were talking, we learned the Torah together, we were talking, you know, Chedushim and the Torah together. Anyway, but I didn't think of doing anything for him, but what happened was a friend of mine in Eretz Yisrael called me, it was the year after COVID, so all the Breslau Chassidim were afraid that they're not going to get in like the previous year. So they all came early. They came from Rishchai Dishel. So a guy called me up and he says, there's thousands of Breslau Chassidim there. They don't have an income and they don't have a Hechelat Torah. They don't have a place to learn. I want to open up a Hechelat Torah. Can you call Lez- uh, find out from Lezer Shana and Tzvi if we could use their place as a Hechelat Torah? And, and we'd like to also you know, give them some money because they have no income. So I asked him how much was the budget. The budget was 500,000 shekel. What was the chesed? 1,000 shekel for 500 people, 1,000 shekel. That was the chesed. Anyway, okay. so he called me up, and this is a Friday. I remember I was in the country Friday morning. I said, suddenly, like it hit me. Okay, are you going to call it Torah's time? Will okay. you do it on my friend's name? He goes, yeah. I said, if you do it, I'll raise uh, I said, let me get back to you. I called. <laughs> uh, I actually called one of the uh, He said... To me, that uh, I'll give you half, which was 100, well, 250,000 shekel. Okay, I only have to raise half. I called the guy back. I said, Yes, I'm going to do it. Okay. Anyway, so that's we. That's how we started. And then I started fundraising, and it was not easy. And it was two days before Rosh Hashanah, and I threw in the towel, basically. I didn't want, I said, I can't do it because the budget went crazy. It went up, and I couldn't carry it. And um, I went to Rabbi Nachman's cave room. And I stopped to Nachman. I said, listen, I'm going back to this guy. As a loser, I can't. I couldn't raise the money. I'm sorry. You know, the budget went too high. I wasn't able to raise the money. And I was about to throw in the towel. As I leave Reb Nachman's cave, Chaim's two children are walking down to the cave. And they see me, like, all depressed. What, what's going on? I said, I'm about to go to my friend, Matigali, to tell him that I'm throwing in the towel. He says, no, you're not. We're going to do this. Next day, we all got together, his kids, a bunch of my friends, and we made a list of people that we knew in Oman. This is two days before Rosh Hashanah. And we called, and we raised the entire amount in an hour. And we didn't wow. even get to call everybody. I raised the entire amount in an hour. So we saw that was a nest, Mamish a nest. 
Anyway, a few months later, this guy kept pushing me and pushing me, and he said, you know, why don't you start learning Lukut Imran? Open a kotel in America. And I had a friend, Michael Rusen, he said, he'll sponsor me for the first three months of a kotel. Okay. So I went into Brazil, the shul, where else am I going to go? And I said, who wants to learn Lukut Imran? <laughs> That's where we started our first kotel. And then within a few weeks, we had four kotelim in Muncie, in Lakewood. And I think for Muncie, Lakewood, no, first we had... Barapak, Muncie, and Lakewood were the first three Kailam, yes. Three wow. Kailam. And then we had in Farakaway and Williamsburg and uh, Belgium and then in Ayravram and Ezustaira and in Rechavia. So wow. today we have, I don't know, eight Kailam, whatever it is, that's what we have. And Baruch Hashem, it grew. The rest is history. But it was all done, not with any kavana. It happened. You wow. And uh, Baruch Hashem, it's already two years so, that we have. So, so you took it on yourself and you, you run Carlotaris Khan yourself or who who I runs run, it? I, I fundraise. Okay. <laughs> I run <the> fundraise. <laughs> I carry the responsibility of making sure everybody gets paid. I also wow. go say Shiorim and all the Kailam, but each Kail has like its own admin slash rush Kail. And uh, and the tachlis is to promote Ramachman's Torah. Our tachlis is to teach people how to learn Lukut Imran, to be able to teach other people to learn Lukut Imran, and to get more and more people into Ramachman's Torah and to inspire them with Ramachman's remedies. And that's the purpose wow. of Kol Torah Chaim. How do you find these people to be like Rosh Kol or... Or the so it's a, it's a good question. First of all, it's not an easy task, but uh, some of them became in the process. In other words, they didn't have a rush code. Right. So I would teach them what the mission is and how to learn, and 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 that's how it became. But now we're trying to set up a curriculum that's designated mamish to teaching on how to learn the Kutaran, and not just how to learn the Kutaran, but how to teach the Kutaran. How to give it over. That's the goal. Yeah, and that's the goal that we're trying to do. We're trying to create it in one kail, specifically in Eretz that's an English-speaking kail. Those guys are a little bit more familiar with it, and, and we're trying to, and then to bring them to America to be able to set up in each kail and teach people how to teach that's the next wow. thing. Well, we'll, that's, we that, that's got to be like that. That's got to take lots of time and effort on your part yeah. because yeah. you have to find the people also. Yeah. So, Baruch Hashem, we found a group, a nice group of people that meet not the whole group, but we have like 25 in the light right now in, in Eretz that are learning how to teach. Wow. Out of that, hopefully, we'll have 10 that we'll be able to send out. And send them to the various different kailim, rotate them so that they teach how to teach. And that's how we want to build more and more kailim and have a kailim in every city that there are Jews in the world. And to we're working on another thing is to have it, you know, we're doing online now, you know, you know, using social media as a way to promote it and hopefully to have an online kailim, where you can learn all over the world on Zoom online and be paid. So wow. that's the goal. That's wow. How do we? How do the? How do my listeners find out more about Kailotar's Chaim? Kailotar's Chaim. And, and, and where Sorry. can they donate? Uh, this is not about uh, before donating. I want to tell you, it's more important that your listeners know about Torah's Chaim to okay. be to learn Reb Nachman's Torah. Anybody who wants to learn Reb Nachman's Torah can PM me directly, or okay. call me three four seven seven three three zero 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 zero. Or wow. my e my 
Email is nachman at torahschaim.org. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, nachman at torahschaimkolel.org. Or, or my personal email, which is nachfried69 at gmail. Or you, Yehudalei, they could come through you because we're going to get you to learn Torah. The main thing, the cause is more important than the money. Just, the, just money will, the, yeah. the money will come by itself. Right. As long as more people get affiliated with the cause, the money is going to come by itself. So it's more important. But yes, if someone wants to donate, we have a website. And I'll send you all the product where you can put it on the on the, as a screenshot. But, uh, but people can join the WhatsApp group and we have a share once a week on Zoom. And we also put up sharing from different coiling lights. And anybody wants to follow the Torah that we're learning, what we do is we learn one Torah for three months, so to, wow. so that everybody can get into it. It takes time to get into the Torah and learn the Torah and live the Torah. The purpose of Kol Torah is to live the culture, not just say a nice shtickle Torah shall shudas or by shavabrachas, but to live the Torah. That's what we do. So, can yeah. can Reb Nachman give some? Tyra at the end right now? <laughs> so I'll tell you, the Tyra that we're learning right now, I'll give you a little uh, tidbit of the Tyra. Okay. And it's, but I'm gonna, it's, it's really deep. I'll give you one little yeah. thing that uh, Rav Nachman says that a person should not go with Chachmas and his Sikhle which means he shouldn't follow his intellect and his cleverness. Okay. He says that what you should do is you should go with Tamimis Upshitas. Tamimis Upshitas means simplicity and innocence. So, what does that mean? Does it mean not to think? Does it mean not to use your seichel? Not to use... This is what Rabbi says. A person, should not, a person who follows his seichel and his chachma will end up making mistakes that will become failures, that will become evil. Everyone's telling you how you become evil. First, it starts off with a mistake, then it starts off with a mischief, a pitfall, a failure. And then, if you continue following your seichel and your chachma, then you become evil. So Rav says, what is the way not to do it? The way is to go with Tamimah Zepshitas. Tamimah Zepshitas doesn't mean not to follow your seichel, but it means not to follow your covered. In other words, most of the actions that we do are, are how do you say, ignited and generated by our own covered, our own ego. But to look at everything that we do for the covered of Hashem, if I'm doing the covered of Hashem, I do it. If it's not covered Hashem, then I don't do it. That's called tmimus, upshitas. That means using my seichel to make sure that there's no kvaidatsmai, there's no my self pride, self ego, self esteem. It is all about the covenant of Hashem. Wow. So Nachman explains though, but not every, not just not everybody. We're all challenged like from with this from the day we're born till the day we die, every second of the day, in every action of the day, because it's natural to have to want to do for yourself, to have ego. And the challenge is to let go of the ego and give the covet Hashem. So what happens to us when we fall? What happens to us when we fall? And everybody falls differently. And everybody right. has multiple failures, whether the fall is to a mistake or the fall is to a pitfall or the fall is to a place of evil, which some of us get to. So what's the ticket? How do we get out? So Rabbi Nachman says, that when you scream in the place of your nefila, and you say, where are you, Hashem? I don't see you. So at the same time, you're acknowledging that Hashem is there, and you're also saying, where are you? I don't know. I don't see you. I'm being challenged. Says Rabbi Nachman, when you do that, you're actually revealing 
the biggest covet of Hashem, and then the purpose of your nefilah was the aliyah. How do you change wow. the nefilah to an aliyah? Because when you say ayeh in the place when you're challenged and you're saying there is no kvaydatsmai, that's the place of that's the place of I don't know, I, my seichel and my chachma can't find you. Where are you, Hashem? So what do we learn from this? That when we're challenged, in every challenge, in every emotional challenge, in every spiritual challenge, and we say aye, we are revealing the biggest covenant of Hashem, and that's the Tamimus of Shittas, and that's how we will come to bring Mashiach and Hashem. Wow, beautiful. Rabbi Nachman, thank you for coming on. Yehuda Leib, want you? to tell you, the blunders bechlal. And you, Befrat, you have all, all I mean, Itchy and Dovi, my, uh, my love, I, all of Fali and I'm, all of you guys, <laughs> you, all of you guys, we love, all the Freeds and the Blonders are connected. It's time for the Blonders to get connected <laughs> to the Freeds and enjoy Breslov. You know what I'm saying? Get a little into the Tires of Nagel. But anyway, thank you for having no, me. But, but I, 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 seriously, I really appreciate you coming on. Um, it was very, very nice, beautiful. What you what you're doing with Kotar Chaim is amazing. What you do, what what you guys do for Brussels is amazing. Just keep it up. Let's start with getting the blunder, especially this the youngest blunder, Yehuda Leib. Let him join and join the Zoom share. Get onto the WhatsApp group. I'll put, I'm going to put you on the WhatsApp. Everyone, join this Zoom share. See if you like it. I I will definitely join, and I will definitely try it out. Um. All right. Okay, Sadiq, Not I got to run. I I'll love you, man. Be happy. Okay, bye. <laughs> you have just listened to the latest episode of the Unique Perspective Show, broadcasted live on Hako Radio, powered by the Munson Mavasar. The Unique Perspective Show is hosted by Yehuda Blonder, who can be contacted through Hako Radio by sending an email to info at hakoradio.com. This show and many others can be found in the Hako Radio archive system on our website and mobile apps, and can also be found on all major podcasting services.